Well, good evening. I'm Dave. Uh, my name is Dave Lockman. I've been on staff here for a pretty long time. Um, I've got uh, a few things to say. First of all, that I am just very humbled to be up here. Um, I, I've been just uh, amazed by the people who have been able to share their journeys over the past few weeks. Um, and uh, Drew, your, your, your journey was very transparent and very real in, in how you met God in, in pain um, and then in also in passion just really spoke to me and, um, and Julie uh, Lorenz out there and I mean, golly, just the way that you found uh, God in that pain with, uh, with your miscarriage but also the connection to community and um, Pua's with finding identity and David's with the challenging of authority. I mean, all these things are just uh, the struggles that we find ourselves in and it's the, it's the pain that God sometimes brings into our lives that's the megaphone that speaks and rouses us towards a closer relationship with him. And I've, I struggled to find a lot of pain in my life. I struggled to find a lot of difficulty in my life. Um, my life, ever since I can remember, I've known the love of Jesus. And so I emphasized know and known the love of Jesus. But I had the best of homes. You guys, most of you out there know my parents. You know who they are. Um, as some of you have found out, uh, though, they, t- you know, they taught me about Jesus. They taught their whole family about Jesus. But those of you who have kids, you can't really control everything you would like to about your kids. And so uh, each child is different. Each child has their own unique bent. And my bent growing up was I felt um, a special calling to love God with my, my mind, to know who God was by thinking right about him. Uh, the things that were in my journey growing up were the typical, you know, Lutheran Sunday schools, you know, fed by CPH. All your Bible stories are known. You know, your sermons are based around law and gospel. Your uh, knowledge of the catechesis moving through junior high and and standing and taking your vows before the congregation. And, um, you know, it was all about what I knew. And uh, it influenced a lot of my life and a lot of my decisions. And as I made it through uh, high school into college, I was always surrounded by people who would work through, uh, would work through the, maybe the LCMS or my pastors or my field workers, and um, no, more than on a few occasions, they would say, you know what, I see you know, God working in you. You should go and, and pursue you know, a calling for God. Um, and this was prevalent because my grandfather was my pastor. I grew up in his church, I, uh, I was baptized by him. And what that looked like for me, it was just, um, I had known so many people who had poured their love of Jesus into my life, and that only resonated and reinforced in my mind that, well, these people know Jesus, and the way you get to know Jesus is through the Bible, and the way you get to know Jesus is through studying, and you go to school, and you look into a seminary. But, you know, there was a lot of things that were competing, that were competing for my attention at that time. I had another passion in my life, and, and that was baseball. And so I always wanted to be a, a major league baseball player, so I had to pursue that. 
So by the time I got to college and all that happened and I get to my senior year and they tell me, well, you're not good enough anymore. It's like, well, uh, what am I going to do? Well, luckily I'd already kind of figured that out in my mind and I knew I was going to be a teacher. And so all the things that I was doing was preparing me for the day that I would become a teacher. And um, I had prepared to be a teacher in the schools that I went to. I went to the Rockwood schools around here. And I grew up in this area. And so um, that, was my, that was my bent. I was going to go and just be, become a teacher, and I was going to coach baseball, and, and things were going to work out that way. But God has a way of kind of getting his own way. He, uh, he used a set of circumstances to call me to St. John here in 1996. And so um, when I began working here, it wasn't that big of a stretch for me to say, well, I'm, I'm part of a, a synodically trained and called staff because my family had recently kind of transferred memberships from our original church to St. John in 1991. And that year... That's when I met uh, Pastor Stephen Hauer. And Pastor Stephen Hauer uh, just inspired the daylights out of me. I mean, his Bible studies between early church, like 8 a.m., and then those of you who remember, we had the late service, and then we had Bible study between. His Bible lessons were astounding. He was relevant. He was real. And his teaching was unlike anything I had ever heard. And that just inspired me all throughout college so that my faith was living and active as I made my way through college. And again, I was just really motivated by this head knowledge, so much so that whenever I met my future wife, it was that, you know, 90s, you know, Christian question, if you were to die tonight, would you be sure that your soul would be, you know, in heaven whenever you, whenever you died? And so what were the ways in which you were saved? What were you believing in? That was really important to me. And so um, as I was stepping through, you know, that time in my life when I was called to work here, and then I was also making the decision to get married, which I'll come back to on later, um, we, were, we were deciding to where we were going to make our home, and then so we chose Washington, Missouri, because that's where she was working toward out the west that way, and I was working toward the this way, and I was going to be the one that was going to, you know, do the driving. So 90, uh, was it, 60 plus miles of, you know, commute per day. You can fill your mind with some really cool things as far as Bible teaching goes, man. KSIV, John MacArthur in the mornings, Hank Hennegraaff in the afternoons. I'm talking KFUO in the afternoons too. And I mean, it's just like, yeah, I'm just hungry for this knowledge and I'm getting this knowledge and it's building and it's building and it's building. And I was enjoying um, uh, the opportunity to have a downtime to rehearse for the music that was in that Sunday's service and the, the music and the passion and the teaching and everything was just driving me at that time that I was a young man who enjoyed the, being the spiritual leader in a congregation. But however, the way I maybe taught or maybe the way I interacted with people, it might have been a little bit haughty. It might have been a little bit, um, maybe I could have easily irritated some people, and I'll get back to that way, that, that a little bit later. But in my role, of, role as a teacher, I felt sometimes it may have been more about me proving that I belonged in this synodical world, and I took a certain pride in explaining our faith in a certain way and pointing out the deficiencies in others. And so, I'm happy to say that my personal journey in some ways reflects 
the journey of this church. Um, it was, this church is led by, you know, it was just such a dynamic pastor then and now. And the journey that began to shift in my mind was whenever he would, it would cut through my comfort levels because if you know anything about St. John or Pathfinder right now is that, you know, things do not stay the same. Things are always changing. But the motive for the way that things change is always directed by the all-encompassing goal of helping lost people know who Christ is. And so that pointed out some of the deficiencies in my thought and in the way I thought about my faith. And I remember a conversation that we would have as a staff, you know, we would have Bible studies in the morning, and a conversation that revolved around Matthew, uh, book of Matthew 23. And there's a section of that, it's called the seven woes. And it's, in, it's another part of scripture where Jesus is speaking very strongly in opposition to those people who are portraying God to be something that he is not. And I took a really long look at myself and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm a religious teacher. I could very easily be one of these Pharisees. I could easily be one of these people that loves doctrine. I love teaching, and I love teaching about it more than I love God. And that was whenever things just started to click. And I'd like to say that that was just the epiphany moment that things just clicked, and I was ready to go, and I was a faithful follower of Jesus from that day forward. But... um, like any moment or any journey, it's just the process. And so there's times in my life when my eyes were opened to see what true Christianity looks like. Uh, and I looked for people to emulate. I would gather info, again, collecting it to see what somebody with authentic faith looks like. And certain things just came up all the time. I was always drawn to by people who had humility. I was always drawn to people who had service as far as their mindset. I was always drawn to people who were compassionate. I was always drawn to people that were encouraging and they were kind. And I said, if that's what I'm drawn to, then why? That's what I want to be. If that's in my faith, I would love to be able to say that that's where it begins, begins to change. Not by what I would... Uh, hear or read, but beginning uh, the path to noticing people, noticing people, not just people also that I admired, because there was also, my eyes were being opened on many occasions to, to people who had been hurt by the self-righteousness of those religious leaders, maybe that I felt I had been, and people who had valued being right overvaluing people at all. And so after a while, what you intentionally notice, what you seek out to read, what you strive to see in others begins to influence and come out of your own heart. So my heart had always belonged to Jesus, but now I was discovering what it meant to have Jesus' heart. So not that I have already achieved this by any means, and I don't have anything perfectly figured out. I'm still on this journey, but there's a few things on this journey that I begin to notice that I'm more attuned to. That number one, it's mostly and primarily about Jesus. 
And this is where I've found that the cross has helped me. I've always known about the, the atoning side of the cross. I mean, a Lutheran church during Lent, how could you not? How, but, you know, I'm well aware that it was my sin that held him there. It was the price for my unfaithfulness, but it also showed me the extent of God's faithfulness and love towards me and how much he loves and accepts me. So that love poured out on the cross has revealed to me a heart that is not only committed to me, but the entire world, everyone. As the author Philip Yancey put, he says, here at the cross is a man who loves his enemies, the man whose righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees, who being rich became poor, who gives his robe to those who take his cloak, who prays for those who deceptively use him. In the cross, he shows us his kingdom and his heart, and he invites us to be part of it. So as he's shown me this, I'm anxious to continue this journey. I'm hoping, Lord willing, he gives me many years to continue to experience this journey, but more at work and at home and in my relationships, though finding out that he can grant me even more peace by not struggling to know more about him and have all the right answers, but to daily take up the basin and the towel by noticing others, by enjoying their company, by being with people, seeing people as someone who God loves passionately. And sometimes that can be challenging because my personality is more introverted. And, um, but because of that, I do have pretty good listening skills. And I can observe and I can seek to understand. So I've seen myself become more intentional about reaching out, about inviting in, about learning more and joining different groups of people. Not so that I can convince or can approve anything about God, but simply show them maybe a glimpse of his love. And so that I can just simply serve. So um, as, we, as our school becomes more diverse, uh, we have different challenges. We have different people that are in the culture. And in the past few years, my wife and I have noticed there's a, more than a few children who come to us who have no working knowledge of the gospel. What a joy it has been to be able to just take these kids to church, lead them through the uh, Holy Week experience, or um, just share, you know, what, it, what, what, what was this? What was the resurrection? And for a family to just say, you know, um, we appreciate you, and we respect you, and just say that I'm going to just not, not judge you for being here at this school, if this is the right place for you to be. And for them to say, I want to start our journey here as a family together, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But we also find families that are kind of hostile toward God. We have families that are just here for another reason besides religious instruction. And that's been surprising to me as well. And that's where I ask for God's heart, to love those who maybe don't love him. They just don't know it yet. They probably do, though. 
I was going to say I was going to get back to a few things, and then um, one of the ways that I think this illustrates best in my life was the whole story of my marriage, and I just can't, can't get into that. That's a really big story, but you can imagine um, a strong Lutheran boy falling in love with a strong Catholic girl. You can imagine the havoc that that uh, raised in the family. I began to understand the havoc that it raised. Um, well, because a lot of my Lutheran friends in the community that my wife grew up in had, had the attitude that I was talking about. They were exclusive. They were judgmental. And so whenever I was going to marry into that family, that family was looking at me through eyes that they had discovered through other people of what the Lutheran version of Jesus looks like. I'm happy to say that um, by the time, sadly, that my, my mother-in-law died in 2010, before she, was, before she died, she saw Jesus in me. She knew that there was a lot of tension between the two camps, that her grandchildren weren't going to be raised as Catholic, but um, her, her daughter, her son-in-law, her grandchildren... They did okay. They reflected who Jesus was. And uh, I think that's our prayer, is just to continually reflect who Jesus is. That all the days of our lives that I'm learning what the psalmist means, that all the days of our lives we want to gaze upon your beauty and seek you in your holy place. Because Jesus is the most beautiful thing I can think of right now. And like the song says, is. His song, His grace is beautiful. He is beautiful in so many ways. And so I appreciate you listening, and I hope this was helpful for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing, Dave. Uh, And thank you especially for circling back around to the story with Jen, because I was definitely waiting. I mean, he said, oh, I want to hear this this marriage story. Um, And uh, so great to hear how that that circled back around for you. Uh, But I think just to kick off some of the reflection that we're going to do in a moment uh, as a congregation, um, so many things you said resonated with me, and I'll I'll be spending some more time thinking about them here. Uh, But just I think this tension... That every one of us, I think, must wrestle with, but between the head and the heart, that uh, that we have a, a God who doesn't just want us to know about Him; He wants us to know Him. Uh, and, and Dave, you put it so uh, evocatively. I, I love this phrase. I'm going to save it for later. But but that there is a distinction between having a heart for Jesus, which is a good thing, but having Jesus's heart for others. Uh, and uh, ideally, those are going to overlap, but sometimes maybe they don't. 
uh, and you can miss that. And, um, and so what does that look like to, to navigate the tension between the head and the heart, knowing God and loving God, but also navigating that tension between having a heart that's directed towards Jesus and having Jesus' heart that's directed towards others? Uh, and another thing that you said that, um, that really stuck out to me uh, powerfully, maybe we'll come to others, but that as religious teachers, we are, we are the most uh, prone uh, to being careful that we're not the Pharisees. And, and when you shared that, that, that hit me too, that uh, even as I'm up here reflecting on, on you know, h- harsh moments in Jesus' life, the seven woes, this weird thing with the fig tree, uh, to just go, hey, is this to me? Is this directed at me? Uh, and so far, the only uh, hope and comfort I have is that I think if we ask that question, that helps us not be Pharisees. <laughs> if you ever stop asking, am I a Pharisee or could I be a Pharisee, that's probably a bad sign. But as long as we keep asking it, hopefully we're not. Uh, and so for you, as we uh, kick off a few minutes now, uh, Drew's going to come up and play a little music, but, but just some prompts for you. Whether it was Dave's story, his pilgrimage about navigating this tension between the head and the heart for God uh, and what it means uh, to have a heart for Jesus, or whether it's uh, this passage from the gospel about this fruit that Jesus expects his church, his nation uh, to bear. And is there, um, have you taken time recently to evaluate the fruit in your life? Maybe it's there and it's good to celebrate that it's there and just take a few moments to do that. Or maybe there's a gap between the fruit that you think maybe should be in your life and the fruit that actually is. And again, that's good and healthy to think about that and meditate on that as well. So whatever has connected with your spirit uh, tonight, take some time, talk about it with God.